Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated for the Rufuah Shilaman's successful surgery of Devorah Bat Hanatzviya, sponsored by her grandson, Ben Hirsch. Uh, yeah. Also dedicated in loving memory of Charlie Surya, Shaul Ben Chana, sponsored by his dear friend Murray Dayan. Uh, as well, um, dedicated and sponsored by Chaim Sigler, in honor of Rabbi Fari for such magnetic classes each morning and week. I'm listening all the way from Houston, Texas, each morning on my way home from work in the hospital, and it's the best part of my day. And in honor of David E. Ash and his ability to see good in everyone every day. <laughs> The week, the week of Cobra was sponsored by James Haddon in honor of Rabbi Fari's legendary dance moves on full display at the Said and Haddad wedding. <laughs> God Almighty. Okay. Oh, yeah. Shem should bless us with simachot and reasons, and reasons to dance. Okay. <clears throat> There's a very interesting Rashi, perhaps one of the most famous Rashis in all of, of the Torah, if you study in Yeshiva. If you follow in my hokim, my uh, statutes, my mitzvot that have no reasons, Rashi says, what does that mean? That you follow in my ways, that you shall be, uh, you shall toil in Torah. Now, everyone wants to know, why is it that... Um, that Rashi assumed that means that you should study uh, Torah to a point where it's difficult for you to study, to a point where you're literally, your mind is breaking, okay? Where did Rashi see that in those words? Right? So, there are many answers to this question. One of the answers that they, that they express is that uh, in the, the word telechu, as we discussed already a couple days ago, the word telechu has resonance with the word halakha, etc., etc. There's different reasons and answers to this, but for whatever reason, Rashi understood that in Bechukotai telechu was referring to amelut batorah, which means toiling in Torah. Now, if anyone here ever finished a masechet, and I'm sure... Many of the people here have been zochet to finish many masechtot. But if you ever finish the tractate of Gemara, we say a very famous line from the Gemara in Berachot. We say the words, Anu amelim, vehem amelim. I toil, vehem amelim, and they toil. Nations of the world. We both work hard. Anu amelim, umekabelim sechar. We work hard and we get paid. We get reward. And they work and they do not receive recompense. They do not receive payment. So everybody asks the same question. What are you talking about? The world is full of non-Jewish people that are going out to work every day. They're working very hard and they're getting paid. What does it mean? We work and we get paid. And they work and they don't get paid. What does that mean? So the classic answer is where we'll begin our class today. The answer is, it doesn't mean that they work hard and don't get paid. It doesn't mean that we work hard and we get paid in the classical sense. What it means is something actually that makes 
the practice of Judaism in many ways completely unique. So to understand it, I want to maybe illustrate a fascinating phenomenon that's taken over in the world of business, in the world that we live in. You know, businesses realized over the last maybe 15 or 20 years a revolutionary concept. And that is, you don't have to own something in order to make money. So for a long time we discussed this once. Uber did not own a single car. Uber is also not profitable, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Amazon did not own a single object that they... No, you have to go read the, read the reports, you'll see. They're not making a rough fortune now. They're making a fortune in the future. Uber right now is still not profitable even though they're making a fortune. Where's my financial analyst? Is that true? True. True. Okay. Sorry? WeWork didn't own any real estate. Airbnb didn't own any homes. Facebook didn't own any information or video or pictures. Neither did Instagram. Neither did Snapchat. So you have a ton of people who are making the, rich, the richest people in the world and they owned and they made nothing. They just built a system to earn profitability on your back. Now let me explain why that's relevant to this point. That means that there's a concept that you could not produce something, you could not make something and still make money. Where did Amazon's money come from? They created a delivery system. So this guy's buying the product, this guy is selling the product. Oh, Amazon just said, I'm going to bring it from here to there. Right? The product's not mine. In fact, for a long time, the model of Amazon was specifically not to own anything. It's only much later in the evolution that Amazon said, hey, you're selling that product for $12 and making all this profit. I'll make the same product, undercut you, call it Amazon's best, you know, give it a higher ranking in the search, in the search rankings on Amazon, and then I'll take the profitability from my own customers because I'm making less off of them than I would be making if I made the product myself. But that's a much later iteration. It's only later in the game that Uber starts owning cars and taking a larger cut than if you own the car yourself from the drivers, okay? Those are all later iterations. But in the beginning stages, you're not doing anything and you're making money. How could such a thing be? There's a concept in Torah that precedes this by thousands of years. And that is that the rabbi gave a speech for one hour and you had no idea what he was talking about. You kept trying to follow, you couldn't understand him. You go to Shamaim, Hashem says, here's pay. You have a zechut for something to go right in your business, in your marriage, in your life. Why? Because I went to a class. But what did I learn? Nothing. That you will toil in Torah. Could you imagine going to a boss, never getting a single job done? At the end of the month, the boss looks and your tasks completed, zero. And you tell him, well, you know, I really should get paid because I tried very hard. 
What will the boss say to you? That Nadal will buy you a cup of coffee. It doesn't, you didn't do, you didn't do anything. You didn't make anything. You didn't create anything. This idea that trying to do something is enough is a, is a magnificent concept in Judaism. And I think it's why our parasha began with this idea. Because in the parasha that's going to describe the fact that you could get rewarded for the good things that you do, but also punished. Barminan, this the end of the parasha, hasn't it? Curses that happen when the Jewish people are not practicing and not doing the things the right way. So the first nechama, God starts us off by saying to us, you cannot fail with me. I, I, I must reiterate that. Judaism has a zero fail probability. You cannot fail at Judaism. Because the ends are not what is, ju- is, not what is judged. It's not up to you. It's not for you to decide whether or not you will actually understand what you tried to, what you set out to understand. It's not for you to decide that you're going to have a child to do Brit Milah on him. What is the mitzvah therefore of Peru Urvu? The mitzvah is in the attempt to be Mikayim the mitzvah. I, I want to make money to give tzedakah, but I didn't make money. But if the intention is there, our rabbis explained to us, Machshava toba. A good thought, Hakadosh Baruch Hu Mitzarafah God connects it, He counts it as if you've done it. So, as an example, every once in a while I'll have to do something. I'll need to go to Brooklyn to be Menachem Avil to go comfort a mourner. I'll need to go do Bikur Cholim in some other place. I'll put on one of the chats, guys. Anyone going to Brooklyn? I need to go to Brooklyn. I need to go to Deal. Unfortunately, I have to visit someone. They're not well. They're suffering. You know, they have to pay a shiva call. Anyone going to Deal? I only have one car. My wife is using it for the, for the kids, for school runs. I, you know, is there anyone going to Deal? I'll get from the guys, from our boys, four people responded. How many rides do I need, even if I'm the most spoiled person in the world? One. So who chooses which one of those four people gets the mitzvah? Me. I chose that. But in terms of offering a place in your car, in terms of saying to me, Rabbi, you know what? I'm not using my car. Take my car. Drive it to deal. No problem. You take it. What more could have been asked from this person than to actually make the offer and sincerely, genuinely be prepared to give you their car or give you that ride? Nothing. That means that in the terms of the asiyah of the mitzvah, the fact that there was something in the mitzvah that was out of your control, that did not come to fruition, I could not have controlled that. So logically, it makes sense that if I was prepared to do the mitzvah, I was ready to do the mitzvah, I'm, I'm getting up there, I agree to do it, but the other guy says no, or the other guy backs out, or it doesn't come to fruition, the halakha is... The Torah counts it that all four of these guys gave me a ride to deal. And not only that, not only they get a mitzvah, they give me a ride to deal. All four of these guys get the mitzvah of helping uh, uh, a, a shivakol, which is a beautiful, a tremendous chesed. One of the big chasadim is to visit someone who's mourning the dead or to pay respects to someone who's passed away. 
That's a chesed shel emet if you're doing it for the niftar, because he can't pay you back. So you, you lost nothing. Your car stayed in the garage. Rabbi Fari did not scratch it in his high-speed driving down to deal. Okay? Nothing happened. Zero. You didn't spend a, da- a dime on gas, but you got the full credit for the mitzvah. In Bechukotai Telechu, everyone's getting very nervous about what's coming up, about how can I do this? How can I get it right? How can I live a life where HaKadosh Baruch Hu's not going to catch me out? You know what the answer is? It's easy. Because you don't actually need to succeed. You need to try your best. And you know what? The unfortunate thing is that unlike your fitness trainer or your wife, or your children, or your friends, you can't sketch God. God knows if you're saying, oh, I, I can't, I can't do more. Hashem's like, yeah, you can. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows the heart of a person. He knows their capacity. So, so long as a person is doing what they can, trying their hardest, that's enough. That's already something worth rewarding. You have a guy, never went to shul in his life. You know, I met someone recently. He said his father was a, his father was a rabbi. And you have on Yom Kippur, people come on Yom Kippur, it's the only time in the year they come. So at the end of Yom Kippur, the rabbi would stand up and instead of saying, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Shahari tomorrow is 7.30, he would say, Mutz'eh Kippur, he would say, Rabbi ladies and gentlemen, Kal Nidre next year will be at 6 p.m. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone in the room laughed. <laughs> everyone laughed. next year, okay, we'll see you. Right? I don't know if he sang Lishanna Haba in this bed, Knesset. I don't know if he's saying that. Right? But you have a guy, he doesn't come to shul at all. Guy tells me, Rabbi, you know, I really want to come to shul. I really want to start coming to shul. A guy like that, the last thing I'll tell him to do is come to 6.30 minyan. Right, Sammy? Sammy Sammy never tells anyone to come to 6.30 minyan. Right? Sammy, you don't like 6.30. Sammy wants everyone to come to his minyan, okay? If it was up to Sammy, he would close all the shuls. 7.30 be only here in Safra, okay? Why? Because for that guy to get up early in the morning, he never comes to shul, it's hard. So how do you start a person like that off? You ask him to come to Mincha. 6.45. It's already after work time. Perfect. Right? 6.45 in the back of how long is Mincha? Very short. Even you don't have to stay for Arbit. <laughs> right? Come 15 minutes for Mincha. Easy. You make the barrier for entry easy. And for that guy, in Shamaim, they're not asking him where he's holding at that stage. How come you missed Shaharit? How come you missed Arbit? Where were you yesterday? They're not asking him that. Rev Dessler has... One of the most important ideas in the practice of Judaism is something called kuntres habehira, 
where he writes a notebook, so to speak, on the concept of bihira, which means a concept of choice, of free will choice. It is not within the free will of a person to do all the mitzvot today. That's not where they're holding. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't ask of you something which is not where you're at. He's asking of you something which is within the realm of your possibility. Which is something that you could wrap your head around. That's your battleground. Your battleground is here. Guy comes to you, he's eating taref. Then he learns, he goes to, you know, five minutes, he gets switched on, he's inspired. Or chas shalom, something happens, you know... To, to, uh, he, has, he gets in a car crash. He decides, you know what? He wants to keep kosher. He wants to do everything. And he wants to come and ask you questions about the strictest levels of... Don't talk to me yet about Chalav Yisrael. Five minutes ago, you were eating lobster. Right? Don't talk to me about... Uh, what's it called? About uh, Pat Yisrael. About Yashan. Those are the upper echelons. And Bezat Hashem, everyone should get... The, the strictest, the best version of mitzvah observance in the world. But you take a guy who first starts learning and he, could, he, he dedicates, he commits himself to come. He says, you know what, Rabbi, I want to start learning. You know, fantastic. Let me send you to a yeshiva where they learn 19 hours a day. He's going to last one day and then he'll burn out. That's not what God wants. God wants amelim. I want you to toil. I don't want you to die. I want you to toil. I want you to struggle. I want you to push. I always thought that there's a beautiful uh, uh, there's a beautiful element in this word of amelut. The root of the word amelut is amal. Amal means to struggle, to work, to toil in something. And the pasuk says, "Adam le'amal yulad." We were created to work. And by the way, one of the reasons why so many people in our society are so sad, depressed, anxious, broken, is because we live in a world which is pushing us inexorably towards living a life of comfort. And if a man was created to work, like the Pasuk says, Adam le'amal yulad, and in our society, we're taking more and more and more work away from the human. We're making things easier and easier and easier and easier. Where you could do anything on your phone, just tap, 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 sit back and do nothing. A person's psyche, their health as a human being, begins to deteriorate when they do nothing. You witness it in people who are elderly and they, they retire. And all of a sudden, the guy, every day up at 4 a.m., goes to work, he's on top of everything, he's sharp, his humor, his understanding, he retires. Six months later, we were not designed for vacation. We were not built by God to relax in a hammock. We were not. We were designed to burn the midnight oil, always. And the more things... Society takes from humanity in terms of giving them more and more comfort, the less and the less and the less a human being will be happy, the less healthy we will become. Now, I always love this idea. You know, our society in some ways is so messed up. You have an Uber, 
So you're Ubering from here to there. Then you have a city bike, electric bike, you're biking from here to the other place. And then you have, so we've taken all the walking away from a person. So what does our society do? But we want to look good. So we'll use the electric bike so as not to walk the 30 minutes home and then immediately go to the gym that I paid $200 for to get on the treadmill to walk for a half hour. Dib! Don't pay for the walk. Walk home. Now, I'm the first person to admit to you that I go everywhere on my electric bike. But trust me, I ain't getting home and then going to the gym. Okay? The idea, the idea that we were created to be comfortable is poisonous. Now here's the crazy thing. It is not enough to work hard in one area of your life. There's not a single area which does not suffer from entropy where you're not, when you're not working hard on it. If you're not working hard at work, your business is suffering. If you're not working hard in your marriage, but you're working hard at work, your marriage is suffering. You're working hard in your marriage, but not working hard at work, then your business is suffering. You're working hard at work and at your marriage and not at Judaism, your Judaism is suffering. The natural state of things in this world is entropy, which means that they unravel, that they break down. That is one of the laws of physics. Everything left alone deteriorates. So what do you need to do? You need to keep the plates spinning. You need to be juggling. If as on a bike, if you're not moving forward, what happens all of a sudden when there's no more forward motion on a bike? You fall down. So to stay up, we need to be pedaling. But unlike any other thing in this world when it comes to Torah and mitzvot, God says, I don't care if you succeed at all. I just care that you were trying. Someone once asked me, you know, I have a big fight in my family. I've been trying for years to make shalom. It's not working. Should I just give up? I said to them, what would be the point in that? You're getting paid. Every attempt to make shalom in Shamaim is a groundbreaking, earth-shaking mitzvah, the mitzvah of creating shalom between people. The fact that the person has not accepted your shalom is irrelevant to you and just sets the stage for you to have another earth-shaking, <laughs> right? Moment of creating shalom tomorrow. So a Jew never gives up. And a Jew is never depressed. And a Jew is never, uh, never gives up hope. Because he knows that the results are not in his hands and therefore the results are completely in his hands. Since I can't control if I'll understand it, I can't control if I'll be able to give tzedakah, I can't control if the person's going to accept my shalom, I, can't, I can't, can't know that the person will forgive me, so therefore what do I know? That I'm going to only be judged on whether I did my part. So my friends, knowing that you cannot fail, what will you try today?
knowing that it doesn't matter whether or not you get it across the finish line, because it's about you making that effort, what will you try today? I have a class where we're learning Gemara together. A bunch of the guys asked me on the very first day, I never learned Gemara, is it okay if I join? What if I don't understand what's going on? I said, it won't matter. Because you're pushing yourself to try and learn something which is a little bit difficult for you. Not as entertaining, it's not as stories and jokes and this and that, it's Gemara. It's thrilling when you get the, the hang of it. It's unbelievable. But it doesn't matter. So the barrier for entry was removed. And now we have a bunch of people who are studying Gemara. And you know what the funny thing is? More and more, and you could ask the guys in the class, more and more does it happen in the class where we'll get to a point in the Gemara and someone will say, but Rabbi, how could that be? And they'll ask a question. And that will be the next line in the Gemara. Well, that will be the question of Rashi or the answer of Tosafot. So people who didn't read one line of Gemara before, all of a sudden, they're masters. They're asking the same questions as the Rishonim, as Rashi, who spent his whole life studying, who was one of the greatest scholars we've ever had. You, with your, I never learned Gemara before, just said the same thing as Rashi HaKadosh. Crazy. You, who said to me that you studied Gemara and Yeshiva and Flatbush and Magadev, whoever, 20 years ago, and you know what, you didn't like it then, and you don't think you're going to like it now. You just said the same idea, the same, asked the same question as the Holy Rav Nachman, as Ravina, Rav Ashi, the Amoraim that wrote the Gemara. So before you didn't know how to read Gemara, now you're writing it. Boreh Olam says, just try. Leave the rest, leave the rest to me. Leave the rest to me. And I'll end with the famous line of the Gemara, where the Gemara says, Yagata matzata ta'amin. If a person tells you, I worked hard in Torah, I worked hard in matters of spirituality, umatzata, I found, I, I succeeded, you could believe him. Lo yagati umatzata, I did not work hard, and I found, don't believe him. Don't believe him. Yagati velo matzati. I worked hard and I didn't find. Don't believe him. There's only one iteration that you could believe a person. That is, Yagati, I worked and I found. Can I ask you? Isn't there times, even in matters of spirituality, where a person doesn't work hard and they found? They didn't work hard. They thought of an idea in Torah. They didn't work hard. They did a mitzvah, it was easy. How could the Gemara say, Lo yagati matzati al ta'amin? The answer is, because you didn't find what you were searching for. You found something. Not, but not what you were looking for. You ever look downstairs in, the, in your apartment building, you're waiting for a very important letter, you know? You're running down the stairs and you see there's that envelope sticking out of the box. He's like, oh, Baruch Hashem, it's here. And you get there and it's the apartment right next to yours. Or you get it and you grab the envelope and you rip it open. Baruch Hashem, the letter came from the bank. 
you're pre-approved to apply for a credit card. <laughs> uh, it looked like it was what you were looking for. You thought it was what you were looking for. It's not what you were looking for. Lo yagati matzati means in Shammai, you're going to get there. You're going to be like, look what I found. Hashem's going to say. That was no sweat for you. And if there was no sweat, that's, that was not the goal. You know what amal is? The same letters that spell the word amal spell the word me'al, which means that which is above. To work for something means something which sits above, just out of your reach. Someone yesterday told me we were raising some money for a Talmid Chacham who's marrying off a child. And we needed help. If anyone would like to help, you're more than welcome to contact me. Talmid Chacham marrying off a child. And someone said to me, you know what, why don't I, I think I'm going to give something like this. And then he messaged me back and he said, I'm going to give the higher amount. Because I learned from one of the great tzedakah givers that you give until it hurts. Anything which was easy, that was not the goal. The goal, the goal was to pain so that you gain. Amal is me'al. Hashem should bless us always to stretch our horizons in every area of our existence, in our Torah and mitzvot, in our relationships. You have a good relationship. No one's saying your marriage is bad. But is that, is that the goal? To not have a bad marriage? How's it going with you and your wife? Yeah, fine. That's what you stood under the chuppah for? That's what you had a, a super fancy wedding for? For fine? No. Fine is, is in Yiddish they'd say nisht. Fine is not it. There's a reason why the same word fine is also used when we're describing an amount of money that you have to pay. A fine, fine and a fine. <laughs> uh, synonymous. Push. How do you dial it up? How do you get closer? You have a good relationship with your kids? How do you make it stronger? How do you add one more memory to that memory bank? How do you make them feel that much better about themselves? What can you do for them to help them succeed a little bit more? May Hashem bless us always to never, ever, ever stop pushing. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.